You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just talk about and direct our eyes to something that the Word of God says very clearly about the day we're living in. And, and before we jump into this, I want to tell you that some of the things that are being talked about are, are, are worthy to be listened to. There are some valid points of interest that, that I would encourage you to, to look at. And if you have any questions, you can talk to me or you can talk to somebody about that. I know some of you already have. Um, but there is definitely a moving and a shaking on our earth. Jesus talked about it in, in the Gospels. The New Testament talks about it. There's plenty, plenty, plenty of Old Testament prophecy concerning what the days would be, look like can, before, um, before the return of Jesus, before the rapture of the church. And, and we certainly look like we're there. I mean, come on, I don't, you don't have to be a, a Bible scholar or a rocket scientist to see that things are starting to move a little bit quicker. Now, that being said, I'm not going to get up here and tell you that there is a date that I know that Jesus is coming back. As a matter of fact, that just would be against the Word of God, all right, because we don't know. We don't know. But what we do know, what the Bible is clear about, is how we're to prepare our hearts, and it's all rooted out of a promise that we see, a very pro- powerful promise that we are currently living in. We are in the time of this promise. It's a familiar promise. And so this morning, I'm, it's not going to be flashy. I'm not going to be funny. I, I want to just come and I want to present the word of God to you. I want you to come and I want you to just right now to say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive what the Holy Spirit has for me to receive. I'm going to invite you to take notes. I want to invite you to write this stuff down, and to go back, and in your own time, to study it and to look at it, to see what you think, to begin to ponder it and meditate on it in your heart. Because as people called of God in this morning, if you're here for the first time and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not here on accident. You've walked into a loving community that loves you and embraces you exactly the way you are. But more importantly, you've run straight into the arms of Jesus Christ, the one who knows you, knows you today, and brought you here for a reason. And all you have to do is say yes to that beautiful sacrifice. But as people called of God, we've been instructed to look at some things to begin to anchor our heart into a promise, to begin to pray a certain way, and then to begin to prepare our lives in accordance to that promise. So the first place in the Bible I want to take you to is in Acts chapter 2. This is the promise. This is the promise. This is what we know. So we're going to read... From Acts 2, 17 all the way down to 23, 21, I'm sorry. It says this, and this is a familiar passage to some of you. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this is a promise, and this, we see this 
in the context of what we call the day of Pentecost, or when the, the disciples uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit and they walk on the street. As a matter of fact, this is, this is Peter coming out after, after being filled with the Holy Spirit and beginning to preach. But what he's doing is he's actually referencing an Old Testament prophecy in Joel. And that's always a beautiful thing when we see that. That's a wonderful thing that gives us a lot of confirmation and confidence. When we see God confirming his word from what we understand of the old into the new, it also gives us a little bit of understanding as to how this promise applies to us. And if you allow me to, I want to just break this down really quick, what we just read, this promise. It starts off by saying this, in the last days, in the last days. And what this is, the last days, is a period of time some of you, if you've gone to church all your life in a denominational church, you may have heard this term referred to as a dispensation. And a dispensation is simply a period of time. The last days is a period of time in which the Holy Spirit, as fully God, as part of the triune Godhead, God in one, is moving on the people of the earth. And this period of time happened between the ascension of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ. So the period of time that we read about here in Acts chapter 2, the last days we are living in. It wouldn't make any sense if Peter was to get up, led by the Holy Spirit, and begin to recite Joel to the people there and say, this last days is only for the next year. No, the last day is until Jesus Christ returns, the rapture of the church. And it started when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come in John 16 and 17. He said that it is good that he leaves, that he goes away. So then the helper, the counselor, the one spirit of truth and wisdom would come. The God, the Holy Spirit would come. And would dwell in us. Would dwell in us. And remind us and lead us in the truth of Jesus Christ. The next thing that we see here as we look at this. Is the active work of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon anyone who will receive it. The active work of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon anyone who will receive it. In this church we believe this. Two things about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. At salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. But we believe also here that there is a separate filling of the Holy Spirit, an immersion of the Holy Spirit. And for us to understand this, I want to kind of give you an illustration of a submarine. That when a submarine goes underwater, it is completely immersed under the water. It has to balance both what is happening from the pressure outside and equalize it with the pressure inside. And at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and then there is something that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit that takes place if you want it. God doesn't force you to have it. It is not dependent upon your salvation, meaning that if you say, look, 
I don't want to step into this. It's okay if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. But the one thing that I do need to absolutely tell you about, that if you desire to live a power-fulfilled life, I would invite you into that baptism. I would invite you into that baptism. And let me tell you, friends, for those of you that are hesitant or nervous about things like speaking in tongues, it's not all about speaking in tongues. And we're going to learn this in just a second. Because here the scripture says this, that this active work of the Holy Spirit begins to play out in several things. And, and I, I need to pause and just, and just say something, okay? <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. As a matter of fact, we should not say the Holy Spirit. We should say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in the first person. We don't say the Jesus. We don't say the God. We say God. We say Jesus. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is a person, is God. The Holy Spirit can be offended. The Holy Spirit can be rejected. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be obeyed. The Holy Spirit can be listened to and followed. The Holy Spirit leads us in truth. And so when we close off something because we don't understand or because we've been taught a different way, we have to humbly come to the Word of God and ask God to impress upon us the truth of this so that we can walk in the fullness of what He desires. Back to Acts chapter 2. So we see here, we see here, it says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The work of the Holy Spirit being poured upon anybody who wants to receive it happens in several areas. It happens first at salvation. This is the power of repentance. But as we invite the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we receive the truth of the Holy Spirit, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here we see that there was prophecy, vision, and dreams that happened. What's the purpose of these things concerning the promise of God in the last days? When you study these words, prophecy, vision, and dreams, what you see here is that these things specifically relate to the kingdom of God. The prophecy, the vision, the dreams relate to the kingdom of God. They relate to directing people to the kingdom of God. I want you to stop and I want you to think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit has given gifts, has given power for the last days, for what's needed in the last days, so that as we begin to tune into the Holy Spirit, as we begin to receive what the Holy Spirit has for us, as we begin to hear, and listen, this, this just totally does not make prophecy weird at all. This doesn't make dreams weird at all. This doesn't make visions weird at all. Because when they're directed for the purpose of bringing people into the kingdom of God, they become powerful. They become powerful. They become powerful. And what happens as you read the book of Acts, you see that over and over again. Consider Cornelius. 
where God visited a Gentile before the Gentiles were, were even really being preached to. And God gave him a what? A dream. And then he also gave Peter a dream. What was the purpose of that? Was it for Peter to start a ministry? Was it so that Cornelius could write a book? Absolutely not. The purpose of it was to bring Cornelius' whole family, whole family, into the kingdom of God. Into the kingdom of God. And when there's a radical obedience with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the promise attached into these very days that we are still living in, there is radical salvation that goes out into our land and our community. That's where we need to set our heart. That's where we need to set our heart. And then it goes on in Acts 2 to say that these, there will be signs leading up until the great and glorious day of the Lord. The great and glorious day of the Lord is a direct reference to the return of Jesus Christ. The question I ask you is, have we seen some of these things? Well, we've certainly recently seen the sun be turned into darkness. And then we had a hurricane. <laughs> right? Or two or three. Have we seen it? Possibly so. Possibly so. Possibly we're beginning to see the rumblings, the tremblings of what God is doing in reminding us and setting our hearts to something. Possibly we're seeing that. But I'll tell you, even if we're not, we'd be foolish not to heed. We'd be foolish not to listen to. We'd be foolish not to look up and say, God, can we just tune in our attention to you? Can we begin to look to you and look to your promise and look to these wonderful things that you've given us in these days that you've called us in? Because whether or not we're to the very edge or we're still a mile off or 10 miles off, the same promise holds true. The same promise holds true that God is moving on the earth. And here's the focus why. This is the promise in its fullness. This is the reason why. And this should be our focus. Because in this season of grace, in this time period of grace, where God's Spirit is being poured out, in power and in love and in mercy, there is room in the day for people to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And our hearts should be directed to that. And our eyes should be filled with tears for that. And our knees should be bent in prayer for that. Because there will only be one thing that matters on that day and that is if you knew Jesus Christ and committed your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's it. That's it. The promise should prepare our hearts in several ways. It should set a prayer focus in our life and begin to establish some things in our hearts. Let's talk for a moment about prayer. In Matthew 9, 36 and 38, this is what Jesus said. And I believe it's concerning these days that we're in. He said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask 
pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a couple of uh, beautiful truths that I, see, I think we see tucked away in this concerning prayer. Some things in which, in which we can prepare our hearts. See, there's no question regarding the harvest. When we look at this passage, the thing that should glare at us, back at us, is this, is that there's no question regarding the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Have you ever thought for a second that, you know, everybody around you, you know, knows Jesus? That there's nobody left to talk to or there's no need? Uh, Listen, there's plenty of churches, there's plenty of things, there's television now that tells people about Jesus, podcasts, all these things. The reality is, is that it's still not enough for the harvest. It's still not enough for the harvest. See, Jesus is directing our hearts to this very powerful truth that in this period of time where His grace is being poured out and the Holy Spirit is moving on hearts, the hearts and minds of people, is that there is a hunger within people to know about Jesus Christ. So the harvest is not the question. The harvest is plentiful. The question becomes about us. Becomes about us. This is how the Holy Spirit moves on the earth concerning salvation. In John 16, 7-11, it says this. This is Jesus talking. And He says, But verily, truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Here is why Jesus told his disciples and tells us that the, plen- the, the harvest is plentiful. It's because of the person in the work of the Holy Spirit on the earth moving and leading people into salvation. What we have to begin to wrap our hearts and our minds around is that apart from anything that we will say or do before that even happens, before God begins to move our hearts to somebody, to speak to somebody about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is moving behind the scenes. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit is doing three things. Three things that are foundational to the work of salvation in everybody's heart. The first one deals with sin. The Holy Spirit convicts of unbelief. Convicts of unbelief. All of us have been in a place, not one person here has been in a place where we have not struggled in sin and unbelief. And because of the grace and the love of the Father, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of our heart and began to direct our hearts to the reality, the truth of the goodness of Jesus Christ. That in the place of our sin, we came to an understanding, a revelation of the goodness of Jesus Christ that brought us to this place that said we can lay down our unbelief. We can lay down our unbelief. We can believe in the one who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
And what you need to understand about this truth, I know for some of you, you go, look, I've been down this road, I've crossed that bridge, no doubt in my mind, and great. But the Holy Spirit is actively working all throughout this earth, moving people's heart to this place of decision, knocking on the door of their heart, asking them to believe, convicting them of sin. And see, sin is not a problem for Jesus Christ because the next thing that we read that the Holy Spirit is doing is he's also bringing the revelation of righteousness in. And what righteousness is, is the truth that the sin problem has been resolved. And so whenever the Holy Spirit knocks on the door of somebody's heart and says, I'm inviting you to let go of your sin, the sin is what separates you from the understanding of my love. It is for the immediate response that they receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is grace, truth, and love. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of righteousness because I go to be with the Father. Now, anytime the Scripture talks about the position after the ascension of Jesus Christ, it is in the place of authority over sin and the enemy. And so when the Holy Spirit is knocking on the doors of hearts all throughout this world and saying, would you receive, would you let go of your sin and come to the understanding that you are the beloved creation of the Father and that you were meant for fellowship, for love, for reconciliation and redemption. And then the final thing that the Holy Spirit does, and this is where we anchor our strength in to go, to go is that he says that he condemns the one of this world. And that's the enemy. The Holy Spirit's job on this earth, through the the church, through the body of Christ, is to judge, to judge, to judge the prince of this world. How does that happen? When we begin to stand up, when we begin to pray, when our hearts get turned to that which the Father loves, to the commodity of heaven, the people that Jesus Christ died for. And we don't stand up, and we don't stand up, and we're not trying to organize some plan, but we stand up in the full measure of the same grace that saved us, and we stand up in authority, and we stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we say, Holy Spirit, where you will send me, where you will send me, I will go. Holy Spirit, I will begin to pray. Because Jesus said here in this same passage, listen, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Now pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. And when we begin to pray and say, Holy Spirit, will you send me? Will you give me the boldness to go? Will you begin to fill me up? with the courage to begin to speak, to begin to love, to begin to radically pray for those people, whether they're in my workplace, my community, the places I visit, my school, wherever they are. Some of your hearts are being bent to the things that are happening in our community right now. You're seeing people displaced, and you don't understand it. You're crying over it. You don't understand it, and it's for the purpose of prayer, and the thing that follows prayer according to Jesus is saying, will you send me? It's not, will you send somebody else? God, please put somebody in their path. God, please, please cause something to happen. Let the Red Cross come and just begin to do great things so that their eyes turn to you. Listen, that's all needed and that's all important and that is all 
good stuff. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is looking at the disciples. Well, how do you know that? Pastor, how do you know that's true? Because immediately in Matthew 10, what we see is Jesus said, all right, guys, get your stuff because I'm about to send you out. He said, you got the lesson, you got the principle, you got the truth. You begin to direct your hearts to prayer. And the prayer revolves around you. The prayer revolves around you. God, will you send me? Will you send me? When we begin to pray, our heart begins to be directed several areas. What do we see? What do we see around us? Are we aware of the brokenness and those broken in need of Jesus? This statement, and I've said it many times, never loses its impact on me. Whenever we read in the Gospels that Jesus had compassion on the people he looked at. Because that compassion was seated in a place of communion with his Father. In the continual prayer to his Father. In the fulfillment of what he was called to do. And he looked and he said, listen, I don't just see them. I'm not just empathizing with them. But I'm being moved in compassion to go. To go, to go. What do we see? Do we see the broken and those in need of Jesus? What are we praying for? Are we actively praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us with strength? Strength to speak, strength to love people, strength to share? Are we praying for the Holy Spirit to move on the lives of the people in our life that we encounter every day? To bring salvation to their doorstep? Are we actively listening in agreement to understand that God has created a beautiful heavenly partnership? And as we pray, we know the Holy Spirit is moving and all we have to do is listen and then go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we willing to go? Will we go to the places He asks us to go? These are all questions that are framed in the perspective of the days that we are living in. I'm not going to start banging and thumping and doing all this. But there will be a day when it's all done. There will be a day when it's all done. And so the, the encouragement and the, and, and the joy comes from listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Word of God for today. That if we would direct our hearts in such a way that we would see the joy of salvation begin to fill people's lives. Let's close with this, the preparation. Justin, come on up, man. In Matthew 25, I want to read just a parable here, verse 1 through 13. It's a parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. It says this, at this time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps. The wise ones were Cowboys fans. All right, there you go. Here's something funny. Ah, there you go. You say, Pastor, you, you really are like a bandwagon fan. Yeah, I guess. I got a new Cowboys hat and everything. I'm going to wear it to church. Um, all right, here we go. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took their oil in jars along with their lamps. 
The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go out to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the, other, later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is probably one of the more sobering parables about Jesus that Jesus gave. We don't hear a lot of talk about this. And I understand there is an implication for Israel in this. But there is also understanding for us today. There's understanding for us today. More so from the, under, from the perspective of saying, God, we want to live. We want to live as those who are wise. We want to live and prepare our hearts as those who are wise. And there's a couple of things that just are some takeaways for me that I want to give to you concerning this parable on how we can begin to prepare our heart to say, God, in this hour, in this day of your grace, before it's all done, before your return, as you're pouring out your spirit, as the Holy Spirit is moving across the earth, moving on people's lives, pulling people into salvation, how can we prepare our hearts? The first thing that we have to do is we have to begin to live with eternity in our heart. We have to live with eternity in our heart. What does it mean to live with eternity in our heart? I think the simplest way to explain this is this. Understand you only have one home. And this earth is not your home. If you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, you only have one home. It's not this place. The earth is not your home. Heaven is your home. The earth is not your reward. Heaven is your reward. The things of this earth are not your passion. That which is eternal is your passion. See, an eternal perspective begins to change the way we value things. What we hold to be the top priorities of our life. And when we truly gain an understanding that this earth is not where we're making the biggest investment, but we're making an investment in things that are eternal, we begin to go after things that are eternal. And what's eternal are the hearts and the souls of people. What's eternal is the hearts and the souls of people. Living with eternity in our heart also becomes something of an amazing thing in our life, personally. Is that when eternity is captured in our heart, when heaven is captured in our heart, what takes place is this, is as the old hymn says, the things of this world grow strangely dim. That, that the concerns and the cares and even the struggles and the, and the hard things that we walk through 
In light of eternity, can I say something as bold as this? And I understand what it is to be displaced. Does a home matter? In light of eternity, what becomes a thing that we begin to focus on? And see, here's the, here's the thing. Is that the New Testament was written in the context for everybody who came into the community of believers into the body of Christ to keep their eyes fixed on their home in heaven. And this parable teaches us this. That yes, there are times that we go to sleep. What's remarkable about this parable is that the wise and the foolish virgins both fell asleep. They all fell asleep. They dozed off. And there are times in lulls, there are times of waiting where we say, God, where are you? When, when we're struggling to understand, yes, those are realities for every person, every person. But when we begin to fix eternity in our heart and begin to pray and ask God to fix that into our heart and say, keep my eyes fixed on where my home is, our passion begins to get stirred up. The next thing that I believe that this parable teaches us is that we're to be a people who love Jesus passionately. What separated the wise and the foolish virgins here was not that they weren't doing the same things. They were doing the same things. They were both waiting. They both had lamps. They both, again, fell asleep. But the five who were wise had enough passion for the one who was coming to fill up a reserve. They filled up their cans. They put extra oil away. They had something in reserve because they did not know when the bridegroom was coming, but they knew they wanted to see him. They knew that they were going to be passionate about the day, that that day was going to be a beautiful day. And unless eternity is locked in your heart and locked in your mind, and unless the passion for seeing Jesus is not there, you cannot live for a passion for Jesus Christ on this earth. It has to be fixed in your heart for home, and it has to be stirred up in your spirit for here. And we have to live as a people who are passionate about Jesus Christ. And this means this, I believe passion is stirred up this way, is that we look for the return of Jesus. This is something we hear a lot about. You don't hear a lot of sermons about this. But do you know what the last passages in the entirety of the Bible are? In Revelation 22, 20 and 21, it says this, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. That's Jesus Christ speaking. Yes, I am coming soon. And then the response is this, amen, so let it be. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, God's people, amen. The very last words in the Bible are saying we are looking for the king to come. Why? Because when the king comes, so does the restoration of all things. And the things we have hoped on on this earth that we've anchored our faith, the promises that are true and never fail, will be revealed as truth because the king has come. How do we walk through the hard stuff of this life and not lose our faith? 
you got to have eternity locked in your heart. Because when eternity is locked in your heart and the truth, the Holy Spirit sears in the truth that the one who is promised is faithful. And even if you might not see it on this side, you will see it. There will be a day. And this earth isn't your home. Heaven is your home. And the place of peace, it may not be here, but it is certainly there. And heaven is your home. If that is there and that is seared into you and it is inseparable from the truth of who you are, your passion to see Jesus Christ come back will be ignited and inflamed. It does something to us. We begin to live for the one who is coming. We love what the king loves. We love people. See, we don't want this for ourselves. This is a simple explanation here. We don't want this for ourselves. We want everybody to taste and see the goodness of God. Why do we stretch out for faith on this, on this earth today? Why do we pray for miracles and signs and wonders and believe that God's still healing today? Why do we do that? Because the one who is faithful never changes. He is consistent at this very moment on this day in September 2017 as a day of his return. Do you think there is pain or sickness in heaven? There is not. The scripture tells us that. And as true as that is, the one who fills us, the one who moves through us, the Holy Spirit that courses through us, that calls us, to, calls us to the truth of Jesus Christ, testifies to the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not a compromised truth. It's not a halfway truth. It's not an earthly truth of Jesus. It's the same truth of the resurrected, overcoming Jesus that is sitting at the right hand of the Father today and said he's still here and he is still moving on the earth today. Oh, man. And our hunger and our passion to see him should grow and grow and grow. And we should, like John and Revelation, say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. But until you come, let that revelation burn in our hearts. Let us begin to love what you love. Let us begin to go into the harvest because you are moving and you are not coming back for some. You want to come back for everybody. It's a beautiful partnership, a beautiful thing. And the last thing I just want to touch on, bring this together. Because I'm not trying, I don't want to emotionally charge you with the word. Because this isn't possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same promise we started for is the same promise today. That was spoken about in Joel and spoken about in Acts 2. That the Holy Spirit wants to fill us with power in these days, the last days, in this period of time between when Jesus went to heaven and Jesus comes back. He wants to fill us. He wants to move through us. He wants to give us a passion, a fiery passion for Jesus. He wants to burn off the stuff that maybe we've been locked to. Just like we read earlier in Hebrews 12. That which can be shaken should be shaken. Let's lay off the things that have tangled us up. Let's lay down the things of yesterday. Let's lay down the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us begin to pursue Jesus with a passion, with a hunger, with a fervor. And these days, filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning?
Father, I thank you that you've given us your word that directs us to the truth. The truth that brings life. The truth that leads us in freedom. The truth that gives power. Father, I pray right now, just where everybody is, and this morning what we're going to do is we're just going to make an altar out of our chairs. And as I pray, you're having a time with the Lord just right where you're sitting. And this morning, if you're here and you say, listen, I, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want you to make that request right now to the Lord. And say, Jesus, I believe that the promise that was spoken about in Acts 2 is for me. And I want to receive that. I want to receive that. I want to have power in these days. We don't know when you're coming, Jesus. And we don't honestly need to know. But what we do need to do is to prepare our hearts to long for your return. To hunger with the passion for you, Jesus. And to be filled with boldness to go into the world that you've called us to. Because Holy Spirit, you are moving. You are moving. And you are drawing the hearts and the minds of men and women to Jesus. So Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Give me a passion for the lost. Give me a hunger for the return of Jesus Christ for the King. Begin to set heaven in my heart. Eternity in my heart. The things that you've promised. You are faithful and you are true. You will fulfill them. Thank you for destiny in this place, God. Thank you for it within the hearts of the people here, God, that you are calling them to things. Holy Spirit, begin to stir up things in the past, things that you've spoken in the past to people. Begin to remind them in the name of Jesus. The things that have been promised, I speak life to in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you that you've called us and you've allowed us to live in this day, in this hour, that you've placed the baton in our hand to run, to run, to run with passion. The testimony of Jesus Christ all across this land. Lord, those in our life who do not know Jesus yet, we thank you, Jesus, that they will know you. Holy Spirit, begin to just stir and move them in the most unusual and creative ways. And Holy Spirit, stir and move us. Begin, 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 begin to move us. Begin to move us. Begin to allow us to pray with a passion like we've never prayed before. Begin to move us. We lay down anything that stands in the way of this truth, Jesus. Anything that we've held up, any insecurity, any fear, Lord, any kind of rejection that we think we might encounter, we lay it down. And Jesus, we say we will go. Holy Spirit, where you lead, we will go. We will pray. We will go. We will keep eternity locked in our hearts. We will keep a passion for the King Jesus Christ stirred up and on fire. And the places we are in the place of this house, wherever we are, we will stir up a passion for Jesus Christ. We will be loud. We will be filled with grace. We will be filled with the testimony of Jesus in mercy. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Amen and amen. Amen. 